Hello and welcome to this second podcast for the Inverness Soil and Nutrient Network Farm. Uh, my name is Mark McDonald and I'm here with Mark Tripney from iSoils who has come up for a second time to talk a bit more in depth about um, micronutrients, liming and other aspects of soil chemistry and soil health. Uh, and this means Mark divides us up into groups and there's three groups, each with a different um, analysis and kind of case study to look at. So we're just going to go through and summarise what was discussed in these groups and um, take from there. Uh, group 1, Mark, had a, his analysis from a grassland field in the west of Scotland. Um, do you want to talk about what the kind, of, the kind of key messages were behind this exercise, uh, first of all? The key message behind the exercise was actually uh, to get people to, uh, farm or farmers to look at the results they came. We very slavishly look at the indices yeah. when they come through, the results come through, and we always look for kind of a guide on the indice. But what I like to encourage people to look at is um, the parts per million stroke milligrams per litre figures that come through. And it's interesting looking at the, uh, the soil results in terms of what people see. Uh, people have been very focused on um, uh, looking at... Uh, P and K um, probably don't even bother looking at magnesium. Often no, yeah. Particularly don't look at the parts per million figure. You know, oh, I've got an index of three, it must be high, or it's a, a moderate plus or whatever. You know, what what is the figure? Where do I fall within that scale? Yeah, yeah. You know, how should I treat this field? Yeah. But also what a, the whole exercise in terms across all three groups ultimately was encouraging people to understand what their soil is, and what I mean by that is not the soil type, but is literally is the CEC, the cation exchange capacity. Mm-hmm. You know, that cation exchange capacity can vary from people farming near the beach with a CEC of three or four to people on the clay lands of the Somerset levels with a CEC or the cast land around Stirling. Yeah. You know, they might have a CEC of 30 plus. Yeah. So very, very different soils and a very, very different nutrient requirements. So as we look down, you know, we start seeing things like the calcium level. Mm. So what number in terms of parts per million is the right one for us? Yeah. You know, we're very keen at looking at guides and one of the, one of the pieces of uh, analysis that we had today, um, you know, a grass field um, uh, where the calcium was slightly higher, pH of 6.8. Um, a CEC of 17.6 as we saw on, on, on that particular one yes calcium was causing that one to be high but another very similar analysis we saw the magnesium was much higher yeah. 503 and it was the magnesium that was causing that pH of 7 mm. not the calcium yeah. so it's encouraging people to look at their results not just look at the guideline and think, but actually question it because if they're not convinced they're working, you know, some of these guidelines give a, a guideline, an average of a CEC of 15. Yeah. So unless your soil is 15, the guideline is irrelevant, yeah. particularly on the group today when it's appeared that most of the group, had prob- those that had measured, had a CEC of somewhere between 7 and 12. Yeah. So I was kind of looking past the, the indexes and the colour coding too, which can be quite yes. distracting sometimes when you first look at analysis and trying to work out what's relevant to your farm, your situation, uh, and particular CEC of the soil. Yeah, I mean, and it's base information. You know, 
as we said today, you know, doing a nutrient management budget, we've got to create a baseline. Yeah. We need to line everything up, all analysis, and that includes the analysis of slurries as we looked at, you know, we looked at with one of the other groups as well. Mm-hmm. You know, what type of manure have you got? Is it slurry? Is it farmyard manure? Is it, is it hen, hen pen? Is it... Yeah. Uh, waste from Morangy, yeah. you know, is it food waste? What, what is it? Yeah, you know, and if you get offered something to spread on farm, ask for an analysis because mm. often you don't necessarily. I think, especially that can be exacerbated too when you get materials which are a waste and the people are just looking to dispose of them, then they put less emphasis on the analysis. And especially if you're getting paid to take it, the farmer themselves might take less emphasis on the analysis and think that's good even though it could be would you say storing up problems potentially if depending what's in the in the the waste of the product you're applying yeah it's got the potential to create an imbalance yeah because if you know they, they might be selling it on one element for example sulfur yeah but if it's got a whole load of potassium with it that you really don't want yeah. for example or calcium or magnesium, whatever, mm. you know, the, you could be causing some imbalance somewhere. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, information is king mm. when it comes to balancing. Yeah, and analysis is king. That's analysis is king, yeah. 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 yeah, exactly. Lime was discussed a lot again. I know it was discussed at the first meeting, but yep. it was discussed a lot again in the second meeting. Um, do you want to tell one interesting thing I took away is when you talked about the differences in uh, liming amounts and pH target levels for grass and animal, you said that the, the lower level for grass is because there's less soil disturbed. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Because that's something I hadn't heard before. Yeah, I mean, the principle, the principle there is on usually the, what, what was traditionally a plow depth um, and the, the depth of soil you were trying to influence. So the recommendation on arable land uh, was 200 mil, 8 inches, grassland 150 mil, 6 inches. Yeah. So the, there's what we call a liming factor. The liming factor depends on whether it's grassland or arable, but it also depends on whether it's light, medium or heavy land. Mm. So the lighter land you need less because it's got lower cation exchange capacity, therefore you don't need as much going in. Heavier land needs more. This is where the myth of, uh, or the mythical two tons mm-hmm. per acre yeah. does not fit. Yeah. You know, you need to calculate out your lime, and the simple way of doing the lime calculation is using the target value minus the actual times the liming factor. Now, as I've already explained, the liming factor will vary depending on your type of soil, and that varies from lightish grassland to peaty soil, anywhere between 5 and 12. Okay. So that, you know, peaty land, if you want to raise pH, you've got to put a lot on. Yep. But light land, sandy land, mm-hmm. you don't need to put much on. Okay. You also touched on that if you're direct drilling, then you'd need less lime as well, just on the same basis that there's less soil disturbed and less yeah I suppose there's two two schools of thought there a little bit yes you you would potentially you're influencing initially the the top 150 mil is ultimately the kind of the rooting zone but I suppose some of the some of the uh, uh, the direct drill fraternity would say that the roots are going mm. miles down so we ultimately we should be addressing more but uh, yes um, the, the top 
150 mil initially. And that same idea, so I mean, the, the roots are usually going well beyond what you're cultivating anyway yeah. in, the end, in the end, so that should... Maybe that's a very complex soil science question, but yeah, how does that how does that affect the line you're putting on? But you know, it, it, sometimes it depends where the, the substructure starts, mm. what depth of topsoil you've got, yeah, yeah. what the movement of everything is through the soil, yeah. because ultimately, you know, if it's moving through the soil, it potentially accumulates on the subsoil. Okay. Yeah. Depending on how it runs off yeah. through to the drains or, or whatever. Yeah. So. You know, some, it's sometimes quite interesting to actually sample at different depths okay. just to see if there's a difference. <laughs> yeah. Which, on, funnily enough, on some grassland farms in particular, you've, because of, well, not funnily enough, actually, it's fairly logical. The, the top 150 mil can be totally full of P and K, mm. but because of the compaction caused in grassland, mm. it doesn't drain below the 150 mm. mil. And the, the deeper land can actually be devoid of. Of nutrient. Yeah. yeah, okay, okay. We say more compaction in grassland just mean because there's less cultivations and potentially yeah. more traffic with silage making. So, so, well, the feet of livestock themselves. Yeah, of course, yeah. You know, you've got this, but also, yeah, land does naturally settle yeah. with rain, etc., yeah. and yeah. stuff being driven down through it. Yeah. But also, coming back to the chemistry of, of the compaction side of things, if if you're seeing compaction all the time, Mm-hmm. It can be to do with the soil chemistry, particularly a lack of calcium or an imbalance between the calcium and magnesium. People tend to always say, oh, I've got high magnesium. Mm-hmm. Well, you might not. You might just have low, low calcium because calcium, yeah. it's the calcium that creates the air space, the drainage space, the root space. Yeah. Okay. So it's the balance. Magnesium and calcium is talked about a lot in the meeting as well. Do you think that's something people really need to be more aware of? Um, and when looking at their soil analysis and planning their cropping than they maybe are currently? Uh, most definitely, because the impact on crop and animal health is quite significant, not yeah. and soil health. It's a, you know, it's a, they're all intrinsically linked, and it's a continuous cycle. Ultimately, yeah. if we get that balance right. You know, and interestingly, if you get calcium levels right, you get better uptake of other nutrients as well mm-hmm. and better release from the soil. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, when we talk about base saturation of soils, we look at a base saturation of over 60% calcium. Mm-hmm. And if, if we get to that level, then soil generally starts to perform much better. Okay, okay. The sand groups are more detailed soil tests. You know, we've got, uh, we've got two, I gave them two very different soils to look at there, in particular on the detailed soil testing. Mm-hmm. One with a pH of over 8 and one at about 6.5. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason for giving them the, the two so widely different uh, style of fields is that they were very different. And, uh, you know, the pH in the, the very high one was being very heavily influenced by... Um, uh, both calcium and sodium okay. because of waste material that had been spread on so coming back to your earlier comment about the implications yeah. and the problems yeah. stored up this guy has really stored up problems and he's got soil that slumps now you know he's got very low magnesium so mm. the potential is that um, a plant available magnesium the potential is that you know he's got problems with the growing crop he's mm. not harvesting the sunlight mm. The magnesium's not there for the photosynthesis. Mm. 
And is that? I think that was sewage sludge and an industrial waste. As yes, well, it was. Yeah, 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 yeah. Do you think there's more of a risk when it's kind of non-agricultural waste you're bringing into the system? Uh, most definitely. Yeah, yeah. Most definitely, because it's not that the balance is not. You know, in general, if if we use plant waste and animal waste um, on farm, you know, the nitrogen and the phosphorus are about the same, and yeah, the, yeah. sorry, the nitrogen and the potassium are about the same, and the phosphorus is about a third of the potassium. Yeah, we start using industrial waste. And quite often we change the ratio totally. It throws it all out. And I suppose that's just the basis that you're growing a crop and feeding the cow silage, and then yeah. the, the cow is you know producing slurry, yeah. which is uh, essentially what's going into the cow. And exactly. That continues quite yeah, yeah. fine. Exactly. Um, so the industrial waste could, can almost be anything, which could throw things out, especially away from what traditionally farmers are expecting from their organic waste. Yeah, and I mean in this, in one of the cases of this industrial waste. You know, it was advertised as high in potassium and mm. as sulphur. It was very, very high in sulphur, actually. But what they didn't advertise that it was very high in sodium. Mm. So they're advertising the good bits, but maybe not, uh, yeah. not drawing attention to the not so good bits. Yeah. Well, the classic bit from the salesman who I spoke to about this um, was uh, said, "Well, um, yeah, there might be a lot of sodium, but it's not all soluble." But mm. sodium is usually in a salt form, and salts by definition are soluble. Uh, yeah, so, <laughs> so it was it was total sales rubbish. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. I think often there can be, especially if it's you know an arable farm with no livestock. The farmers can be very keen just to get some kind of organic material onto the farm, and that maybe doesn't slow them down so much to look at the analysis in as much detail as they need to. Would you agree with that, or do you think? Yes, yeah. definitely. I think we've got a tendency not to ask for analysis. Um, You know, we've got to be more questioning because it's ultimately the quality of our land and, you know, productiveness, livelihood, etc. And there's quite a lot of implications, particularly, for example, that one there with sewage sludge as well. Mm. You know, what's, you know, he might not be ever to be able to use phosphate fertilizer again until he's got levels down. Yeah, you touched. And in that situation, is there an easy is there a way to get to get those levels back down do you think or? Uh, phosphate's one of the more difficult yeah, ones yeah. <laughs> you've got to somehow harvest it out but yeah. it's it takes a long time to get yeah. move yeah. phosphorus whereas I suppose potassium potash would be easier to harvest out yes just with multiple cuts of silage exactly yeah. or even barley as well well grass silage in particular 50 yeah. tonne a hectare of, yeah. of grass will remove 300 kilos yeah. of potassium in a season so that off takes it quite effectively probably too effectively very, very effectively yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. And any other kind of nutrients in that regard which can be problematic if they build up? Quite a general question, I know, but any you've seen, I suppose? I think you, you have to be mindful of all nutrients that are building up and, and be mindful of the cause. Mm. Um, you know, because 10 years ago you were told your copper was low and you started putting loads of copper into the animals. Yeah. It might not still be low. <laughs> well, in a couple of cases where I've been on farms where, you know, it isn't low anymore yeah. and they're still putting copper in. Yeah. So, you know, ultimately, <laughs> you've got to look at the levels and uh, I'm not saying you've got to measure micronutrient levels every time because you get a trend. Yeah. But you've... You, but you need to understand where those micronutrients have come from as well. Yeah, yeah. You know, is it historic because you were um, pig and poultry use? Mm-hmm. Is it because you've um, used industrial waste that's mm-hmm. high in heavy metals? Mm-hmm. 
or and in this area in particular uh, distillery waste which is often high in copper from, from the stills would be a particular concern well I mean the, the waste from the still um, is high in copper isn't it yeah you know the the, the latest one from yeah, February this year is is the highest copper I've think I've You've seen, ever seen. <laughs> I've seen, but yeah, from yeah. the stills, yeah, yeah. It's, it's very relevant. So absolutely, like, yeah, which might become a limiting factor on some farms if their copper levels get too high. Would you say? Well, it's the interactions, the multiple interactions. You know, we look at um, Mulder's chart, which is is always worth a, a peruse for whoever. Yeah. You know, just to try and understand. So we, you know, we look at we look at copper there, and we look at the effects that copper can have. Well, I mean, you, you know, you potentially got stuff on, stuff on iron and, and manganese there. Mm-hmm. Um, for starters, look, just looking at it again quickly. But there's other interactions. So, for we for example, have. if you're if you're low in iron, um, a little already, if the copper starts to ramp up significantly, that'll be uh, exacerbated significantly by the increase in copper. Potentially, yeah. and pati- particularly if it's solubilized. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it depends how quickly it then locks back into the soil. Yeah, yeah. But if it's if it's in a soluble plant available form, mm. it might be interesting. <laughs> yeah. It takes out yeah, yeah. Okay. degree of toxicity. Yeah. What do you call a Mulder's chart? Did you call that? That one's that one's called Mulder's chart. Yeah. yeah so that's just a chart showing the different interactions between different micronutrients. Yeah, micro and macro, and macro, macro and secondary nutrients. Yeah. Because there's the, the a surprising amount of impacts that. You know, even the good ones can have on mm-hmm. on others, but some of them are, are good mm-hmm. interactions that we want. For example, calcium will suppress iron. Yeah. yeah. So reducing the iron availability because a lot of remember a lot of the samples we looked at today had soil samples had high yeah, very iron, high iron, yeah. very high iron. So you know that has benefits there as well. Okay. Okay. And if the copper was too high, is there anything you can do to take that down, or just try to keep everything else roughly in balance so that it doesn't? Uh, yeah, something you have to be mindful of, isn't it? This is where the whole limiting factor is—the limiting factor in excess, yeah, or or a deficiency, or a deficiency, yeah, yeah. and that's why we all need to do a little bit more. But when you start getting, you know, certain levels, it's why it's important, particularly if you've got livestock, mm. to do forage mineral analysis mm. because that will inform you a mm. what potential underlying problems there might be. Okay. Or so it could be. Uh, uh, mineral analysis for the forage you're feeding them. Yes. And uh, what about the likes of blood testing for... Yeah, I mean, blood testing is... You know, having done blood testing in the past on, on dairy animals, it's very much a point in time. Mm. The thing is, with the forage, you could be feeding the forage for several weeks. Okay, yeah. Even yeah. months yeah. out of the same pit. Yeah. So actually knowing that gives you a better get a pit or more usable information almost yeah. um, but it also gives you if you know if you had to you could make a bespoke mineral yeah yeah so then you you know you just because blooding cows as I say is mm. you've got to when you're doing that for example we're talking about cows can relate to anything else but yeah. you know you've got to pick a range yeah. In terms of the, where they are in the lactation as well. Yeah, of course, there's a lot of other factors there too. So the yeah. the, the forage analysis would be the starting point. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Definitely. Group two also. You you said the analysis there showed quite a high or a too high in organic matter content. Oh, that was on the second one. Wasn't in the it? second analysis. Yeah. Yeah. The second. Uh, because people talk so much about organic matters and how low some of them are, especially in long-term arable farms now, yeah. I was surprised that you said it was too high. Do you want to expand on that a little? 
grassland you usually reckon on a five to seven this is on a mineral soil mm. is where you want to be five mm. to seven percent seven and a half percent when it starts getting higher it just locks up nutrient um, okay. it usually indicates an, an anaerobic soil okay because the nutrients not cycling well enough yep. um, and you quite often see deficiencies or you know for example is borderline copper there which is a classic one in terms of um, a, a nutrient lockup, mm-hmm. but organic matter holds on to nutrient three times stronger than clay. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you've got a huge reserve yeah. there. So, actually, yeah. making that organic matter work yeah. is in your interest. When you say make it work, I mean, could that be as simple as, say, an old an oldish grass lay is quite a high organic matter content, and you apply it up, and some of that organic matter essentially kind of burns off? Was that an example of using the organic matter? Um, yeah, I mean, you can have quite high organic matter and a, a, a deeper lay, but mm. you can get you can get thatching mm. on you know on even younger lays yeah. due to the fact the way the nutrients applied and even the way it's been cultivated, yeah. because ultimately you know we've uh, we have a love with the power harrow that creates yeah. very fine tilth. very yeah. fine shallow yeah. tilth. Yeah. Which then just goes to a sponge, which then has produced yeah. a compacted layer, yeah. and we don't get the worm the worm movement in yeah. the soil. Yeah. So you know it is about biological activity. Yeah. So we talk about that um, grass harrowing done by some people, maybe not as much as it once was. Do you think that's quite a good thing for breaking up that thatch in the grass? Uh, it it pulls out old faggy stuff mm. on the top, but I'd rather see people aerate. Okay. So spike air rate or grassland subsoiling. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, make sure it's going in well. Yeah. I pref- personally, I prefer the uh, the the more roller type ones than the, what I'd call the old hedgehoggy ones. Okay. Because they force they force that 150 mil spike into the ground. Yeah. And it creates a bit of shatter as well. Yeah. In the right conditions, of course. We get too picky about the conditions. <laughs> You're contradicting what I've heard other people say. Yeah, well, there's a lot. Of, uh, well, I've used it in wet, with water on the surface, and I've used it, okay. you know, when it's, when it's slightly wet. Because what I mean, even today, if we went out, well, actually, one of the farmers said today, you know, he, he'd been digging um, digging in fields recently, and 100 mil was wet, but below that was dry. Mm, okay. So in my book. You so know, if it's dry underneath, you're not you're not too worried. Does that? No, I think we get a little bit concerned about what the surface looks like, yeah. rather than the benefit of better rooting. Yeah. Okay. Because it's the roots that pays the money in the end. Yeah. Yeah. I one and I kind of slightly opposing you. I've heard some people say that if anything, they prefer the old style hedgehog ones because they're smaller and easier to pull. So you can have a smaller tractor in front of it to go through it. Whereas your big some of those. Uh, bladed rollers whatever you want to call them they're quite quite big and quite heavy and what somebody said to me was that well if you've got quite a big tractor in front of it and you're tearing up and down yeah you're you are erasing it but you're also packing it in front of it especially if it's in slightly wet conditions too Uh, no I can I can see that Um, the problem with the the um, the hedgehoggy ones is they're very lightly built Mm. You can't put much weight on them, otherwise the frames bend. Yeah, yeah. So you're very limited window, and ultimately that window with those hedgehoggy ones is um, is when it's soft. Yeah, yeah. So, but and they're, they're a bit if you're a tall clay, they're a bit like a, a knife into butter. <laughs> okay. In that they they'll seal up. 
Yeah. That, into damp butter, you know, yeah. Yeah. They, they will just seal up. Whereas the the bladed ones are a bit more brutal. You, you've actually got a higher work rate with them as well. Yeah, I can see eleven that. to twelve yeah. k with those. Whereas the the smaller ones, you get so much flick. Yeah. With you can't them, go too fast. You can't do too, yeah. too fast at all. Okay, that, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. So just to recap, the guy, just be, because it's locking out minerals, that's well, minerals, nutrients. Yeah, that's that's why it's too high. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't think that's a problem a lot of most, most arable farms in the area or in Scotland will have to be honest these days I think organic organic matter levels are historically quite low just now but it's interesting that it can be yeah. too much yeah. generally, you generally sit on um, livestock farms yeah, quite. yeah. Um, the third group uh, looked at the analysis for three different types of waste I think it was there was two Two sludges or sludges and uh, one digestate. Mm-hmm. Um, that was quite interesting. The two sludges were fairly similar. The thing which kind of leapt out was that uh, a lot of potassium in them both, um, which I think would be the limiting factor, and also one of them was very high in uh, calcium, was it? Yeah, I mean, the, the ratio, the actual ratio of nitrogen phosphorus potassium is is fairly consistent in in um, in both of them in terms of percentages but the the major difference was really the the uh, the calcium between them in terms of uh, you know what was in one was you know it's like liming a field every year yeah. in terms of an application rate um, but yes going back to the potassium the potassium was particularly a concern on the lower dry matter one yeah. because of the the level that um, uh, you know would end up being applying if you applied to the 250 kilo organic matter um, best practice limit yeah. um, that that is ex- you know extremely high yeah. and as we discussed on at the time you know it's where what you target are we targeting nit we have a tendency to target nitrogen yeah, definitely. rather than potassium when in this in that particular instance definitely potassium's got to be the the limiting factor mm-hmm. yeah i suppose it's interesting but it's just if you're trying to manage that like a more like say farming or manure um it just wouldn't work that well you have to, you'd have to be aware to adjust your bag fertilizer application yeah and probably eliminate potassium entirely um and that was the main benefit you couldn't you couldn't save too much nitrogen i don't think no you're right the the potassium you know is literally you'd be straight nitrogen yeah. with, with that um and you'd, you'd top up with i mean the good thing on that there's the available n is quite high mm-hmm. so the available n is roughly 60 percent mm-hmm. so you know that's a good avail good availability there um, so, yeah, applying applying evenly, he's still looking at the looking at the sums. He's getting uh, forty five kilos of N per application. Yeah. If, if if we split that three ways. Yeah. Yeah. Was the second one the one which was highest in calcium? I think, was it? Yeah. I mean, this this shows the influence that bedding material can have. Okay. Yeah. You know, on the, the difference between the two farms, knowing the two farms is, you know, the, what they bet on one beds on sawdust, um, and the other was betting on lime treated paper. Okay. And it's that that was inf- that's which has influenced the slurry, the mm-hmm. lime treated paper. Okay. Okay. And the final one was uh, digestate, which looked the most usable um, 
waste to uh, to myself and other people in the group. Um, one interesting takeaway from that is very high in ammonium, so there's a risk of scorch depending on when you applied it. Yes, yeah, it's, it's a common theme with some of these digestates actually. Okay, yeah. the, you know, the, the way that the, the digester system works produces this high ammoniacal um, nitrogen. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's an area of concern, particularly in the summer months mm-hmm. that, you know, mm-hmm. I've seen aftermaths destroyed yeah. um, because of this, this type of product. Um, yes, it'll make things grow rapidly and you're providing, you know, a, a good shot of nitrogen from this. Yeah. The, you know, there's also a significant amount of phosphorus in it, mm-hmm. um, which I think the phosphorus would be the limiting factor on that one. Yeah. Because it, you know you just probably wouldn't be taking off enough phosphorus. Mm. You wouldn't want to be using this every time. No, no. Back to lining briefly because it was discussed a lot at the end of the meeting as well. Yeah, don't talk about the standards with lime and how effective different different types of lime can be depending on the particle size and uh, what you're looking for. I mean, the assumption has is, is generally been that, you know, all people say, oh, I'm applying ground limestone. Now, ground limestone is a particular standard. Mm-hmm. And the key bit on that particular standard is that there's 40% uh, which passes the 150 micron mm-hmm. sieve. Now, that's the reactive bit. That's mm-hmm. the bit that's doing the business. Yeah. That's the bit that's really, you know, giving you the, the, uh, the neutralizing effect. Neutralizing value is it can be a bit of a blind alley because... You know, you could, I can sell you a bunch of rocks from the same quarry and I'll have an NV of 54. Yeah. But it'll have no reactivity because they're one to two inch rocks. Yeah, yeah. You know, they're not going to do you any good. So it is that small particle. It's to do with surface area. Mm. So once we've got that surface area across, um, you know, across the land, so good quality, high reactivity lime, is, you know, is key. This is where the granulated limes come in as well because... Um, particularly when you, you know, you're trying to keep your pH balanced, the uh, the particle size is all 150 micron. Mm. Therefore, you're getting that react- 100% reactivity straight off. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the good news on the quality of lime is that the the Agricultural Lime Association has um, set up what's called AQS Ag Lime Quality Standard, and that is all members. Um, who are supplying ag lime from a quarry have to have the, the quarry analysed a minimum of once a year. Okay. And that that test gives reactivity, neutralising value. The granulometry, the granulometry then informs whether it's ground limestone, screened lime, or coarse screened. Okay. Um, then you've got an analysis of uh, the calcium and magnesium content as well. So you know whether it's a, mag- a calcium lime, a magnesium lime, or a dolomitic lime. Okay. So the, the point being is that these analyses are available from participating quarries. If you ask for an analysis, an AQS yeah. um, quarry should give you one. I mean, legally, if they're selling you screened limestone, they should be able to show that they're selling you green slime. Mm. You could theoretically take them to trading standards. Well, not theoretically, you can actually take yeah, them to trading standards. Yeah because that is a legitimate regulation mm. under the 1991 fertiliser regs. Okay, which a lot of people probably aren't aware of. So exactly, it's yeah. Good. yeah. Um, and within, within the, within the meeting today, there's a lot of discussion that the lime quality can vary 
can vary even within a year from the same qualities. Well, one year can be excellent, and the next year, I think if they, as somebody said, if they're into a different scene, it can be yeah. entirely different, different quality. And of course, uh, people are aware too if their if their crushers are worn. That's another reason why it gets kind of bigger, lower quality. Yeah, I mean, as part of the crushing process. Um, you, well, I mean, the crushing process is is what creates the, the material that goes into the screens. Mm. So. You know the screens have got to be of, a, of an adequate size yeah. to to make sure you get the structured component of, of of the line, and I think that's the you know that's the the the, um, the the key thing. There are a couple of quarries that are using a hammer mill as well to grind, okay. but not many. Okay. Not many, and not no nowhere close to here. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay, then I think that's a, a reasonable summary on the topics discussed at the meeting today. Anything you'd add to that, Mark? I don't think so at the moment, I can think of. Okay. Okay, well, thanks a lot for your time. Thanks for coming up. Thank you. Thank you.